The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Throughout these uh, Sundays here in August and even going into September, we are going through a sermon series on the book of Genesis. It's called Genesis 12 through 25. There's, there's no mystery here about what we're going to be covering. And we're just going from the start of Genesis 12, and we're going to be working our way through um, uh, the book of Genesis and Abram and Sarai's story. Last week, we looked at how Abram was called out and up to go to the promised land. And now here this morning, this is the very next event in Abram's life. I want to read it for you. If you're at home listening in on Zoom, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, as we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 20. And if you're with us here in the church, we are on page 10 in your bulletins. And this is what the Word of God has for us this morning. Now. There was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but we'll let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came down to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was very a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they took him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is God's word. This story right here, this little narrative, doesn't end up in children's Bibles. I checked. Like, not, not exhaustively, I admit. But I have a number of children's Bibles at home, and we got a number at church, and not in a single one of them did I find this little story. <laughs> And I think I know why. I mean, if you were making a children's Bible and you wanted to put this story in there, what would the picture be? Have you thought about that? 
Would it be with Sarai with her with her hands behind her back and she's slipping off her wedding ring and the Egyptians' gaze on her lingers just a little bit too long? Would that be what they would put on the coloring sheet? I mean, this story, for good reason, doesn't end up in children's books. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a, a, a parent at home? And they're reading bedtime stories, and they read this in their little children's Bible, and then the precocious little questions start to come. What would the kids ask? Dad, they maybe say, why does Pharaoh have so many wives? And then dad's on the spot, see. Or they might say, Dad, Dad, why is Abram so afraid of the Egyptians? Were they really that mean that they'd kill him? Or, or maybe, maybe they'd say, Dad, I don't get it. Why, why, did, why did they lie? Are you supposed to lie about being married? Mom? <laughs> you see, it kind of would put parents in the spot, wouldn't it? Like, what would they be drawing? And what kind of questions would little kids have for mommy and daddy? This, this is why, this is why this little story doesn't end up on coloring sheets and children's Bibles, because this story gets complicated and it gets complicated quick. It's almost as if, it's almost as if Abram is on this ladder of evil. Like, like he's on a, you could think of it like an elevator, and he's going just down, down, down. On, on one level, on one level, he compromises his marriage. Like he sabotages it, and he sabotages it bad. And he goes to Sarah and he says, let's just lie about it. Let's omit the fact that we're married. Sarah, I take off your wedding ring. It'll be okay. You can imagine how this would put little cracks in the foundation of marriage that would maybe lead to disaster later in their marriage. And that's only one level. Like, if you look at the elevator of evil that Abram's going down, like this is bad. Think about how suspicious he was of the other. I don't know if this is racism or stereotyping, but look at what he thinks about these people who are different than him. He looks at them and he thinks, these are bloodthirsty, lusty men, and they certainly honor marriage more than they will honor my life. They'll kill me. That's what he says. And he actually really believes that this is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. But that's not all. Abram here fails as a husband. We know this. The Apostle Paul says to the husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, be willing to sacrifice yourself for her. But Abram reverses that, doesn't he? He's like, Sarah, you risk everything so that it'll go well with me. Sarah, you, you, you put yourself out there for being compromised. 
and I'll walk away good. This, this is, this is a, this, there's all kinds of levels of evil, but, but the reason why he takes this elevator down into sin is because of one big sin. He doubted the promise of God. We saw it just last week. We heard it. God had said, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And Amram's like, I'm not so sure now that I'm down in Egypt. Maybe these guys will just, you know, take me out so that they can have my wife. He believes a lie. So he tells a big fat whopper of a lie. We got to talk about lies for a second. Ancient Christians really thought about lies and they put them into three categories. There's the playful lie, they'd say. These are the lies that, that, and deceptions that kids love to live in, where they, you know, the little girls pretend to be princesses and, and the little boys, I don't think they pretend to be princes, but they pretend to be other things, don't they? And these are the fun lies. These are not sinful lies. Even grown-ups, they play at them. We call them plays, don't we, on Broadway? There's nothing wrong with suspending judgment and living a deception for a while so that we can learn something or be entertained. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? There's also obliging lies. Sometimes believing people have to tell lies. Now, I don't think there's very many circumstances where this is true, but think about in the Bible that Michael, the wife of David, told a lie to save his life. Or think about the people here in the United States when the slave trade was going on in the Underground Railroad. Isn't that what they called it? They would lie to save another. You see, when, when you lie and you actually put yourself at risk by that lie, for the sake of another, it's hard to call it sin. But the honest to goodness truth is many of us are not, are not living a reality quite like that. Most of our lies fall into a third category that we call deadly lies. And these are lies that we tell for our own sake. These are lies that we tell for our own advantage at the expense of everybody else. Like Abram here. You know, he's telling this lie for himself, for his own advantage, at the expense of Pharaoh and Sarai and a whole bunch of other people. Isn't that true? A deadly lie. Or think about the people, think about the people who lied and deceived to get their kids into Stanford or I don't know, Brown or something like that. They lied on, to, a, to the admissions counselor and everybody else at the expense of everybody else for their own kid. It's a deadly lie. An offense to God. And these are the lies that, that we mostly tell. It starts really young. It starts with kids. Kids, it starts really young. I'm talking to you right now. Like, like your parent asks you what happens and then you just admit, omit something. 
Or there's two siblings and they're fighting over something and, and one says one thing and another says another thing and the parent's like, one of you two is lying right now. Or maybe both of you. Somebody's not telling the truth. There's, there's the lies of plagiarism. There's, there's the lies that, that parents are actually doing the homework for their kids. And then as you get older, the lies just continue, don't they? Like there, there's the lie that when you go to the, the bank, you, you say that you have this amount of money that you're taking in. And it's bigger than what you actually make so you can get a mortgage. But then you go down the street to the IRS and all of a sudden your income's a quite a bit lot less, isn't it? So you don't have to pay taxes. And then there's the people who get not only one job, but two jobs remotely. And they carefully don't let their employer know that they have a meeting with their other company in just a second. And the lies, they just stack up and they continue. And then there's the, the lies that we tell even to the people closest to us. Like our wife or our husband. Where were you that night? Oh, I was over there. And it's this rotten secret that benefits only you and harms everybody else around you. Deadly lies that, that offend God. It's like we take these elevators of evil all the way down, 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 down. Like Abram here. Mm. It's heavy stuff, isn't it? Deceptive stuff. I... It's interesting, when, when you look at the story, how God responds to it. Like, if we didn't have the rest of the story, can you imagine, what would you think that God would do here about this obvious deception on the part of Abram and Sarah? Don't, don't you think there, there's a part of you that's like, oh, God's going to come down on them. God's going to give them some severe consequences. God is going to punish them. And you know what happens? None of that. In fact, as you look at the story, you might think of God's response to the lies and the deception as being threefold. Like as being an interchange, an exchange of sorts. God exchanges their lies and their deception, first of all, by blessing Abram. Like... <laughs> Couldn't you learn the wrong lesson from this story? If you just look at it, like everything turns out pretty good for him, doesn't it? He, he schemes so that everything will turn out good for him. And then it does. Like Pharaoh takes Sarai into his harem. She, he kidnaps her. And then Pharaoh's like, this is my new favorite brother-in-law, right? And he starts shoving at Abram all of these riches, anything that'll moo or cackle or, or crow or anything. He's just shoving animals at Abram. Take them, take them. And Abram actually becomes here a very rich man, which is going to become problematic. We'll see that next week. He's so rich that he and Lot are going to have some problems. But it's almost as if, it can seem as if God blesses the scheme. Now that's not all. God also exchanges for this obvious deception and lie 
He exchanges that for a rescue of Sarai. We, we don't know what it was. This could be the first example in Scripture of an STI or an STD. And parents, you can explain that to your kids later if you want to. But somehow, God makes it utterly clear to Pharaoh. We're not told how. But it hits Pharaoh right here and right here in the heart. Like, Sarai's causing some big problems for me. And it's because she's actually a married woman. So God, he sends a plague, which is going to come later in Scripture, some plagues. And he rescues Sarai intact and pure so that they suffer none of the consequences of their obvious deception. That's the second thing that God does. The third thing that God does for Abram in exchange for the lie and deception is he sends into Abram's life a preacher. Now, this is really interesting. Abram in this story becomes a tempter. Like he becomes almost like Satan himself, doesn't he? He's like, here's, here's a beautiful woman, and guess what? She's not married. She's sister. Say. Temptation. A tempter. Diabolical, satanic, you might say. But now, this is an interesting part. God sends into Abram's life a preacher of righteousness, a Noah of sorts. And you know who it is? It's a heathen. Pharaoh himself. And what he does is he starts preaching. He's like, what, what did you do to me? And why did you do it? It's, it's, if you look at it, it's what, and it's why, and it's why, so that Abram would leave that country and he'd have that ring in his ears. Why did I do that? That was wrong, and that was messed up. Why did I hurt Pharaoh like that and risk everything with my marriage and distrust God like that? See, God does not condone line but sometimes what he does and this is so gracious he embarrasses it why did i ever distrust god because he's so good he embarrasses it have you ever had that happen in your life where where you distrusted someone and you were going to have a deceit and then you find out, wow, well, that was kind of dumb. I had that once in my life. I'm not real proud of it, but there, you know, everything in Queens, there's this parking spot I was trying to get into, right? And I and I'm back up and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I just left a scratch on that car. So then what do we do? We have to make a calculation, right? Should I tell them that I did it? Or should I just omit the fact? And I actually thought about it for quite a long time. Like, and then it started to bother me because it was my neighbor's car. And I was like, I got to tell him. So I got home and I walked out and I said, I'm so sorry, Barbara. But that one, that was me. <laughs> and I'm happy to fix it up for you. And I thought, oh yeah, like hand over $400 so we can take this. That's what I actually thought that they would do. But you know what they did? They embarrassed 
they're great. So it's like, you're such a nice guy. I can't believe you told us. Don't worry about it, Tim. That's what they said. They embarrassed me with their grace. Has that ever happened to you? Get off scot-free? I mean, in a sense, in a sense, isn't that what happens to all of us in Christ? God is so faithful. Call every man a liar. But God will be faithful to his word of promise. Isn't that true? Like, like what do we deserve because our deviousness, our lies, and, and the way that we treat other people for our own advantage? What do we deserve? We deserve so much worse, but God does not condone it or overlook it. He gives us Jesus. In other words, in exchange for all of our wrong and our hurt and our lies, He gives us everything. Jesus suffers bitter death on a cross in our place, and we get forgiveness and peace and life forever with God? The promised son of Abraham? That is a mind-blowing sin. See, he doesn't condone our lies. He embarrasses them with his grace. See, I'm convinced that every word in Scripture is for our encouragement and edification. Which means that we need this story. <laughs> For so many different reasons, even if it's awkward to talk about with the kids. Like, sorry, parents, you're going to have to go home and talk about a lot of things with your kids. But don't we need the story? We need the story so we can talk about marriage and what makes it strong and what doesn't, too. We, we, need, we need the story so that, that we can see the power of lies and the... And, and, and the, the, the destruction that they cause, but we need the story most of all to see how God deals with life. How God deals with sinners in His Son, Jesus Christ. And what He does is He exchanges all of that for everything. Amen. Amen.